0: Buildings are the spatial foundation of our daily lives. There are homes, workplaces, schools, hospitals, and serve many other human needs and purposes. But buildings are also one of the largest global consumers of energy. They account for a staggering 40% of global energy consumption and are responsible for about 30% of global CO2 emissions. As such, it is imperative That we make both the existing building stock and future buildings energy efficient. And if we do it right, the green transformation of the built environment can bring about a kind of sustainability that fundamentally improves the well being of us all. You're listening to Sound of Green, a podcast from State of Green. Each episode, We invite experts and stakeholders to convey Danish perspectives on a given challenge of the global green transition. Through decades of experience, Denmark has turned many of these challenges into opportunities. By sharing these experiences, we hope to help you do the same. In this episode, we explore how pursuing energy efficiency in buildings is crucial in the journey towards sustainable societies, both environmentally economically, and socially. The global green transition towards net zero emissions hinges on our ability to use less energy, and ideally to do so without diminishing our quality of life. In other words, we need to become more energy efficient. Energy efficiency simply means using less energy to perform the same task, that is, eliminating energy waste. Energy efficiency has steadily made its way onto the green agenda in recent years. Google searches for the term have spiked visibly since the beginning of 2022, and with good reason. Energy efficiency is internationally recognized as one of the key instruments in the global green transition. The IEA,
1: the International Energy Agency, they have very clearly stated that uh, energy efficiency is uh, one of the very most important areas in terms of uh, abatement policies. So I think their calculation is that uh, energy efficiency should ideally account for forty percent of the mitigation measures to to meet the the Paris Agreement.
0: This is Stine Leth Rasmussen. She's the deputy director general at the Danish Energy Agency. The agency is largely responsible for Denmark's political energy efficiency efforts. And as Stina explains, buildings are a crucial target of those efforts. So, yes, energy efficiency in general is very important and
1: energy efficiency in buildings is particularly important because we're, uh, we're looking at uh, an area where the lifetimes are very, very long. Buildings are with us for many, many years and therefore it's, it's very important what we do in terms of both renovation and, uh, and new buildings. So uh, energy efficiency in buildings, it's about
0: the long-term sustainability. If we take a moment to think about the life cycle of a building, from construction to lived life to demolition, it becomes evident why buildings account for such a significant part of our energy consumption and emissions. Construction is one of the biggest drivers in society's management of resources. Today, Many buildings use more energy during the first year of their lifetime than the following 80 years, meaning that more than half of a building's energy consumption is used for construction. The way we build new buildings thus has significant impact on how energy-intensive they are. However, it is estimated that 85-95% to of the European building stock that will exist in 2050 has already been built. So we must also attend to the energy consumption of the buildings we already inhabit. When they are in use, the energy consumed by heating, cooling, ventilation, and appliances quickly adds up to around one third of the global CO2 emissions to be exact. While energy efficiency in buildings has received growing attention in recent years, it still hasn't permeated green energy discussions in the same way that other energy initiatives have. It just isn't considered headline material.
2: It's just more tangible. Maybe you you say a little bit more sexy if, if you're a, a minister of energy and climate to go out and do you know ribbon cutting on a huge offshore wind park, right? Energy efficiency is a little bit less tangible in the sense that it, it, it's a combination of many things, right? It's, it's changing your windows so you get the best-in-class windows. It's changing your thermostats, maybe installing a new pump maybe you need to have a little bit of an additional installation, right? And so that's a lot of, you could say, small things, and there's just a millions of these smaller initiatives.
0: This is Fleming Rotman. He's the vice president of external relations and sustainability at Velux, one of the world's leading producers of energy-efficient windows. And as he suggests, energy efficiency may be overlooked because it isn't as grand as renewables or exciting new green technology. But that doesn't make it any less important.
2: At societal level, they add up and are by far the biggest bet you could do in terms of driving down you could say sort of energy and emissions at a country scale. But it, is, it consists of so many small things at the same time.
0: Even though we might not hear as much about all of these small things as we do of the big breakthroughs, important work is being done to further the agenda. Promoting energy-efficient buildings has been a cornerstone of Danish green ambitions for over 40 years. And the innovative solutions developed by both the public and private sector have made Denmark a global leader in this field. Like many other countries, Denmark was hit hard by the oil crisis of the 70s. At that time, Denmark was 99% dependent on imported oil from the Middle East. So political inaction was not an option. As regulators began to rework Denmark's energy mix, a commitment to energy efficiency followed, as Stine Rasmussen explains. We had a very high level of
1: oil import dependency, and, uh, and therefore uh, we needed rapid action. And that was, I think, basically the, uh, the starting point for working very seriously with energy efficiency and with uh, energy efficiency in
0: buildings. That work saw the introduction of several initiatives to lower the energy consumption of buildings. One of them was behavioral tools like campaigns and information to the general public about how to lower energy consumption through behavioral changes. Since 2006, energy performance certificates have been instrumental in driving the green transition of the built environment. They rate the energy efficiency of a building and point to cost-effective ways to improve its energy performance. This encourages both building owners and potential buyers to consider the potential value gains of pursuing energy renovation.
1: Well, the thinking behind the uh, the energy certificates is that when people buy a new home, that is typically uh, a point where they are more aware and where they are also more likely to go uh, through major renovations, major changes of uh, the house. It's both about increasing the awareness of the people buying a new house, but it's also about giving some very specific advice uh, in order to what can be
0: enhanced in the building, what can be improved. Other initiatives have been more structural like building code regulation. Designed to realize the potential for energy savings and reduction of greenhouse gases in both new and existing buildings, Denmark has one of the strictest building codes in the world today. And it's paid off. The total amount of energy used to heat or cool a Danish building has steadily decreased since the 80s. However, these efforts also come with their challenges. Successfully implementing legislation in the actual planning of the built environment is no easy feat. Something which those who carry out construction projects can attest to. My name is Karen Peterson
3: and I work as an urban development director in Kovi. And I have been working with urban development and sustainability for quite a number of years.
0: Kovi is a Danish-based global engineering and architecture consultancy with an explicit commitment to furthering sustainability in the built environment. They work on both public and private construction projects. And as Kayan explains, it can be difficult to align the planning of projects with a regulative framework that is constantly being tweaked and improved.
3: A lot of the buildings that we build in Denmark, especially in the huge urban areas, are are in, in areas that we have planned several years ago. And it's the same problem we have with new urban areas. We are planning for areas that will be built within the next 10, 15 years. And, and that is, I think that's a, a very important that we have that in mind and take that into consideration, that the legislation will change and we have an urgency of, of incorporating in, in our planning right now.
0: This challenge has notable implications, not just in terms of ensuring a sustainable building stock, but also a valuable one. Otherwise, we might end up with so-called stranded assets, which can put building owners in a really vulnerable position. Another big
3: issue, and we haven't seen it that much in Denmark yet, but I think we we need to be aware of that, that is the discussion about stranded assets. You know, that that suddenly your building loses their value because legislation changes, because the demand in the market changes. I was grown up with, you know, the best place to put your money is in real estate. (laughs) Then they're safe. (laughs) <laughs> but that's not necessarily the case today, because there, there might be a lot of demands and changes in, in the legislation that suddenly can make your, your real estate uh, having no value. So I think that's very important to have in mind uh, when, when we reuse, rebuild and, and reconstruct in, in these uh, new urban areas.
0: Challenges like these makes it all the more important that knowledge is shared across borders. Because Denmark has worked to promote energy-efficient buildings for decades, we've gathered a lot of valuable experience, as Tina Rasmussen explains.
1: What we try to do is uh, share experiences, both uh, in terms of the do's uh, and the don'ts. Because we have the advantage that uh, we have worked with this for, uh, for over 40 years. So uh, we've, uh, we've learned quite a bit both in terms of uh, uh,
0: what works, uh, but also in terms of what doesn't work. According to Stine, one of the most important lessons that others should take from the Danish experience is the need to diversify the regulative instruments used. I think
1: there's a lesson learned in terms of not relying on one single instrument, Uh, but having a wide palette of uh, instruments in play in order to address energy efficiency and energy efficiency in buildings. So uh, we need some economic disincentives for energy consumption, such as tax on uh, energy use, but also some uh, economic incentives in order to make it even more attractive to invest in energy efficient solutions, uh, such as renovation of uh, of the buildings uh, via subsidies, and I think it's um, it's also Danish experience that there is still. Even working with these economic instruments, there is still a good case for working with uh, regulation as well. And finally, uh, behavioral uh, tools can also move something on top of this. So I think it's an interplay of different instruments that we need to take out of, uh, of the toolbox.
0: Danish regulators haven't been alone in cultivating a greater focus on energy efficiency in buildings. Danish companies also work to continuously provide world-class solutions and technologies in the field. One of them is Velux. Velux, as mentioned, is one of the world's largest producers of windows. And windows play a key role in regulating our heating and cooling in an energy-efficient manner, as put simply by Fleming Roadman.
2: So we focus both on making sure that you don't lose heat, and at the same time actually also in the summer to try and prevent overheating and thereby minimize the need for air conditioning.
0: However, pursuing energy efficiency in buildings is just as much a question of health and livability as it is about energy savings. And to fully realize the sustainability potential of the built environment, all elements must be balanced.
2: Yes, I think, you know, when it comes to uh, buildings and, you know, most of us spend the majority of our life inside buildings, whether it's in schools, offices, or, or in our, our private home and whatever, right? So, of course, you need, you need to factor in a number of things at the same time. You cannot just solely focus on energy. So, you also want to, to make sure that you actually get a healthy dose of, of daylight, which I know a lot of people really appreciate. And, of course, at the same time, you also want to make sure that you have a great indoor climate. And then, yes, at the same time, you also want to make sure that you have an energy efficiency element to it. So so we're trying to balance all three things at the same time.
0: Crucially, the value of this balancing act can also be expressed clearly in terms of economy and welfare on a societal scale. Here are the numbers. In Europe alone, it is estimated that companies collectively suffer 923 billion euros in lost worker productivity every year due to poor indoor working environments. For hospitals, optimizing the indoor environment can reduce the average time spent in hospitals by 11%. Across 90 million patients annually, that is a societal benefit worth around 42 billion euros. For schools, optimizing the indoor climate heightens students' performance, letting them achieve the same learning results two weeks faster per year. One instance where Velux has sought to find a healthy balance is with the project Living Places. With the project, they've challenged themselves to build a green model home that is both accessible and sustainable. It arose by looking at the most common Danish home and asking how materials, construction, utilities, and architecture could be rethought towards building homes with less impact on the planet.
2: Could we build, you could say, sort of a prototype house but where the challenge was, you can only use existing materials. So nothing that's in the R&D pipeline, basically any material that you, me, everybody else who's listening to this podcast can go down and buy today. So that's that's the first thing, right? Secondly, the house has to be affordable because, of course, it's super easy to do any types of prototypes if you have an unlimited budget. And then we also look to, okay, so then we challenge ourselves, how much can we drive down the carbon emissions? while maintaining great indoor climate.
0: It turns out that the answer to that last question is quite a lot. In total, the energy use of the house is 3.8 kilograms CO2 equivalent per square meter per year, and that includes the materials that went into the house. To give that number some context, the Danish government requires that all new buildings built from 2023 and onwards mustn't consume more than 12 kilograms CO2 equivalent per square meter per year. Living Places thus only emits one third of what the Danish government is requiring to reach its 2030 goals of a 70% CO2 reduction. Living Places will be presented and open for visits for the first time in connection with Copenhagen being the 2023 world capital of architecture. It's been important for Velux to make Living Places replicable Therefore, they've made the process behind the project accessible online to show how it's possible to make sustainable design and construction choices.
2: You have basically sort of a decision tree where you would say that every, all the choices you have to make comes with emissions. So then you can go through it. So, so other people can follow the same logic and they can build a house that looks different, right? But it, it's all about those choices. And here we've been very transparent about the choices and, and the benefits that they might bring. We've done it sort of open source, so if anybody would like to copy-paste the house, they can just do it. Our goal is just to inspire people to, to try and do something like that.
0: The sharing of Danish experiences is also core to the work done at Covi. Kind Petersen highlights circularity in the building processes as one of the areas where international stakeholders can look to Denmark for inspiration.
3: We have come quite far in Denmark in terms of reusing materials. And I think that is one thing we can share with, with clients from, from abroad. Um, today's waste, so to speak, is tomorrow's resource. So it's sort of very important that we look into this issue that, that when we take down buildings, we do have a lot of resources in the building. And we're quite good at that. Almost 90% of the materials that we have left when we demolish the building will be recycled.
0: One of the concrete strategies currently being pursued in both the Danish private sector and regulation is life cycle assessment of construction projects. A life cycle assessment compiles and evaluates all inputs, outputs, and potential environmental impacts of a product or system, for example, a building, throughout its life cycle, from the extraction of raw materials to its final disposal. In other words, from cradle to grave. Together with multiple partners, Kovi has created a tool for this kind of analysis, which lets the Danish construction industry calculate the environmental and economic costs associated with building projects.
3: Well, in our business, we have developed a unique tool for this purpose. Um, so we can read the consequences of you know, a given solution in, in terms of the CO2 footprint. Even in the design changes, we can lock it. And we have also added the cost to this uh, calculation so we can both measure the CO2 footprint or outcome but also see what does it cost when we do a building.
0: This kind of work is obviously important in terms of making sure that the environmental impacts are calculated and documented to provide a solid basis on which sustainable decisions can be made. But it's also about establishing common sustainability practices that can become an integrated part of our way of approaching the built environment as Kain explains.
3: So we very much focus on the circular solution in, in using buildings and building parts and the materials um, in order to optimize, you know, um, the energy efficiency and making long lasting solutions as
0: a natural part of our work. It's hopefully clear by now that pursuing energy efficiency in the built environment is an important pathway to sustainable societies. Energy efficiency lowers CO2 emissions, as well as heating and electricity costs. It also increases the value and lifespan of a building and improves the livability for residents. These benefits are especially crucial in a time of major uncertainty about the global energy situation, as Dina rasmussen explains.
1: Well, uh, it makes a lot of sense to lower the energy intensity uh, of our economies obviously in terms of climate and uh, in terms of energy security of supply, but also in terms of public health. It also makes our economies, whether that be the public economy or the household economies, uh, less exposed to uh, to energy price shocks. So I think uh, it's a very wide palette of of benefits that we can, we can harvest from,
0: uh, from working on energy efficiency in, in buildings. Taking a broader view, pursuing energy efficiency can play a critical role in pushing our common energy systems towards a low carbon future by reducing energy demand. As a matter of fact, it makes very little sense to separate the two. We need to
1: recognize that the energy consumption needs to be viewed together with the energy supply system. We are moving towards an, uh, an energy system which is increasingly relying on uh, renewable energy, which is also variable energy, which is uh, an energy production that goes up and down with the weather, whether uh, the wind is blowing and the sun is shining. And uh, with large amounts of renewable energy based on wind power and on solar power, we also need the uh, energy consumption to become more variable, to become more flexible. I think we we need to think of this in terms of a tandem movement. We need to lower energy consumption in order to be able to supply in a green manner. So if if we were to keep growing our energy consumption, we wouldn't be able to cover our energy consumption by uh, renewable energy sources. So, So I think the shift to renewable energy and the
0: intense work on energy efficiency goes hand in hand. Some might say that if energy efficiency is such an undeniably good idea, it will eventually happen by itself. But as Fleming Woltmann from VLUX points out, realizing the potential of energy efficiency largely relies on our human ability to change our habits. As such, there is no reason to not proactively push the agenda.
2: And that that follows that idea that, you know, uh, that some economists have that, you know, because, you know, the payback time is very lucrative, then it should happen by itself. Yeah, That's where I think that if you ask a psychologist or a sociologist or an anthropologist or others, we say, yeah, that's not necessarily human nature, right? Because we also have habits. But we always just think that sometimes you need to accelerate that. So so there again, building codes, standards, regulation, and sometimes these voluntary building codes can be very beneficial so that everybody across that value chain focuses more on, on energy efficiency.
0: On top of strong regulatory frameworks, the example set by private actors also matters greatly in terms of inspiring global change. Luckily, green business also tends to be good business. This is something Kind Peterson experienced with the launch of COVI's most recent sustainability strategy.
3: In COVI, in we launched a very ambitious strategy last year that gave us an immediate stop uh, with working with new projects that were involved fossils. So, so we have abandoned that. And I also think we, we were very close, you know, with, with sustainability because it has become a basic condition in all our solution and it's a demand for our customers. So we have to go that way as well. I think we, we, we push globally, but we have also had very positive response from a lot of our customers. I think it's very strong that we sort of go this route and go very, very specific for the green transition. So it pays off. <laughs> it does. It does.
0: While this intentional, strategic push for energy efficiency in the built environment has a long history of furthering sustainable buildings in Denmark, it is not a uniquely Danish experience, as Stine at Rasmussen argues.
1: I think that the framework conditions, the regulatory and the uh, economic framework uh, conditions, uh, have pushed Danish architects to very much factor in energy concerns in, uh, in, their, in their designs, in the, uh, in the building practices in Denmark. That being said, I don't think it's a particular Danish experience.
0: I think these practices can be copied uh, many
1: places.
0: One thing is certain. In the complex combination of global crises we're facing, the built environment represents one of the most pressing but also promising areas of action if we manage to make it a collective priority both for our own and future generations well being we
1: have uh, a global population growth we have uh, changing demographics we have uh, growing urbanization and and, uh, and this all points to uh, a lot of construction work a lot of new buildings and within that context, I think architects needs to be, they need to be very aware that the designs that they choose, they will lock in good or bad energy consumption patterns for many years to come.
2: All of us need to opt for the best solutions all the time. And you can say we have a little bit our back against the wall. And, and that means that we also need to get it done, you know, ASAP.
3: We can't do it alone. We have to do it together with everybody in in the in the chain of when you when you when you build a building. So, so I think, we, I'm positive, and I'm hopeful, and I'm hopeful for our children because we have to leave a world for them as well. But we have to do it together. It, it's it's not for individualists. It's it's for team players.
0: Thank you for listening to this episode of Sound of Green. We want to give a special thanks. To Stine Ledrasmussen from the Danish Energy Agency, Fleming Vogtman from Velux, and Kajen Petersen from Kovi for sharing their insights. For more stories and solutions from the Danish green transition, visit our website stateofgreen.com. Here you can dive deeper into Denmark's approach to creating a sustainable society and connect with the solution providers that make it possible.